Hello, and welcome to On Record In Conversation. I'm Jess Collins from the Birmingham Music Archive. In this podcast series, recorded in front of a live studio audience, we explore the vibrant and diverse music history, heritage and culture of Birmingham through the stories of some of those who have shaped and continue to influence the city's musical landscape. In this episode, Satnam Rana talks to Holly Hollister, editor-in-chief at Babmag, a cultural publication representing Birmingham and beyond. Satnam asks Holly about editing a magazine, setting up Selexterhood, an empowered DJ community that encourages equality in the music industry, and why she made Birmingham her home after leaving university. Holly, hi, good evening. Hello, good evening. So, Holly, for those of you who may not know of Holly Hollister, editor-in-chief of Bad Bag, weekly radio show on Brum Radio, um, through your time here in the city, visiting lecturer at Birmingham City University, mm-hmm on the board of the West Midlands Music Board. Um, and this bit excites me the most, founder of Selexterhood, which is um, a, a community to empower DJs. Um, and I got really excited when I did a bit of research around that and found some of the YouTube videos. So I'm looking forward to delving into that part of your portfolio as well. We're going to start from the beginning, mm-hmm. because this is really about you and getting to know the person behind all the great work that you do on the music scene here in Birmingham. So from the beginning, where were you born? I was born in Homerton Hospital in Hackney. So I spent the first three years growing up in East London and then we moved to Devon when I was three and grew up in the countryside. I take it you don't particularly remember that transition or do you? Um, not particularly. There are some videos that get brought out and um, I've definitely got a very Cockney accent um, in them. But yeah, don't remember too much. I think when you're a kid and you see videos and photos, you're like, is this a real memory or have I kind of created something around a photo that I've seen? But yeah. And so move from Hackney to um, Devon. Tell me a little bit about your family. Who's in your family? Obviously... I'm taking it, a mum and dad? Yeah, yeah, it's just the three of us. The rest of them live up in Yorkshire or London. So, um, yeah, we're just a little three unit and two cats, always. <laughs> and Devon, when I think of Devon, I'm thinking on the coast. Near the coast, it's about 20 minutes from the seaside. So there was a lot of summers in Sidmouth and with cousins and family friends from London who are still there and then they'd come down and visit us and sort of have back-to-back visitors for six weeks of summer, which was always great being an only child and having that kind of extra, extra entertainment. So the mother of an only child, I get that. Mm-hmm. I feel as if it's mother boot to the house sometimes, but it's really nice having lots of people around you. So did that make you quite an outgoing girl? You know, what sort of girl were you growing up? personality-wise? I think I was quite, actually quite shy. Like, I didn't, like, I just sort of kept myself to myself. I'd say it was probably outgoing. I think, yeah, probably quite strong-willed from a young age and just up for it, like, like hanging out with the boys, probably more than the girls, and being outdoors and playing spy games and climbing trees and stuff like that. Why was that, do you think, hanging out with the boys you preferred to the girls? I'm not really a very girly girl at all and so like I did like playing with dolls and that sort of thing but more I like the adventure kind of side and being outdoors and kicking the ball around and I didn't I don't think I wanted to be seen as like 
a princess or anything like that. Like I wasn't into Disney or any of those sorts of things. It was Jungle Book and, yeah, more masculine things. So that's quite a decisive um, approach to your childhood, I guess, mm-hmm. making that choice of I don't really want to be princessy or Disney, etc. Mm-hmm. Was there something that triggered that or made you want to be like that? Um, no, I don't really have strong memories, but yeah, I just, I guess I was a bit of a tomboy and still kind of am. And recently I came to this realization that I watched Grease when I was a kid and like some school friends like really liked it. And they're like, this is fantastic. And I watched it and I thought, well, this is a musical. I'm not really a fan. And then I watched it again, like a couple of years ago and I was like, oh my goodness, it's it's so gendered. Like the the boys are very boyish and the girls are incredibly girly. And like the the song, you know, like the lyrics in the songs are just like, oh my goodness. Like it's quite outdated now. But um, yeah, I think that kind of polarization I wasn't really a fan of. And without knowing, I guess I kind of expressed that. And so tell me then about hanging out with the boys out, outdoors. Um, you talked about liking spy games, being outdoors, mm. adventure. When you were in that moment, can, can you take yourself back there? And what was the feeling? What, what, what was it about that that, you, that really struck a chord with you? I think it's brought a sense of freedom and yeah, being in nature. Like my best mate from London, who um, is 10 days older than me, and he was very into football and we had a close relationship growing up and then also um kind of like family friends which I grew up with as well as Marco and Maya and they were also quite similar in that respect I just I don't know I, just, I guess it was maybe it wasn't an early rejection of kind of being told that you needed to like pink and be into these things but yeah I just I didn't want to do that I like blue <laughs> I mean you know here we are as adults intellectualizing it but you don't at the time, do you? You no. are who you are. Yeah. Um, and you either like your pink stuff, which mm-hmm. is okay. It's all right to like pink stuff and play with dolls. Or you don't. Mm-hmm. And you want to be the antithesis of that. Mm. <laughs> so that's you growing up. You like being outdoors with your mates. As a teenager, does this mean that you grow up to be quite confident because you're with the boys? Because in our sort of binary world, it's mm. very much in the teen years, boys on the one side, girls on the other side, and, you know, a bit of macho going on and a bit of, if we're going to stick to that binary description of boys and girls. Mm. What, where were you in that? I was trying to be friends of boys still, but I think they were going through their thing. And in year nine, I cut all my hair really short. And people really couldn't get their heads around that. That was quite a big, um, oh my gosh, what the hell? But I was like, I like it. So I kind of, yeah, I didn't really mind too much. And in school, I had a really good group of female friends and we did stuff together and like just had a nice time. It's not like growing up in a city, I don't think. Like you've got to make your own fun and a lot more ways and spend a lot of time around each other's houses and I guess when you're a teenager as well but until you get to 17 18 you there isn't the spaces to go and have a drink or maybe you can stay in Exeter for a bit longer and get the train and there's some freedom but we live five minute ten minute drive two miles from the train nearest train station so you've always got to rely on someone with a car or parents picking you up from parties and fields and people's houses and stuff which is safe and great for the parents because they know where you are. Yeah, I, I always told them where I was. <laughs> <laughs>
What about now? How do you balance out your personal and your work life? Um, I think I'm still finding the balance. It's definitely like the past two years have been, I think, similarly to a lot of people, kind of like maybe a realisation that we're functioning at a very high rate and like putting a lot of pressure on ourselves. And there wasn't, for me, there wasn't really a distinction between work and fun. And yeah, it's just, it's kind of, I think for my, for me, like knowing what I want to do and keeping that in workspace and then having things that I enjoy doing for me in a different space, but still even with DJing and festivals, which are two things of quite like summertime. So that's what I'm kind of doing at the minute. And since like 16, 17, I've always thought like, do I really want to turn festival work into my job because I love going to them so much and that's also a space where I like being myself and exploring and meeting people um but yeah I still take on jobs at festivals because it's fun and you meet great people and you get to work in a place where you're surrounded by music and I think really yeah the job outweighs the fun maybe I've gone too far into that kind of realm of working and I can't really see festivals without a kind of knowledge of what goes on behind them and like seeing the people in high vis and working with radios you're like okay you're just gonna leave them to do their thing or like asking questions to people and getting responses you know okay you're very stressed like I kind of don't need to hound you for this answer right now so you you know it warts and all but actually Mm. i'm not i haven't quite got it clear in my head then so have you got a set of boundaries that separates your work life and your and your personal life or does it just morph one into another which is okay if it does because at the minute yeah there's a lot of morphing yeah um which is and it's not the healthiest but it's cool it works at the minute yeah (laughs) what was school like school was school i went and did all right like I was kind of smart and I can apply myself I didn't really ever push myself but I was doing other things I used to do drama and dance outside of school and I think those two things were relatively separated so did you have a favorite subject in school drama ah this is a correlation (laughs) here isn't there between adult and young colleague Mm -hmm. so your your passion is basically reflected back into school with your favorite subject yeah and then I did media and communications at uni. So, yeah, I think that's definitely what mum um, and dad have taught me. Like, you can pursue things that you, you're passionate about. And really, at the end of the day, if you can enjoy your work, then do. Because it, you spend most of your adult life doing it. So, yeah, may as well do something you enjoy. So was that what you were passionate about um, as a young person? Yeah, I wanted to be an actress for a while. And then... When I came to uni, I was thinking like, oh, maybe I'll be a TV presenter. And then I saw myself on screen and I was like, oh, no, I don't like that. So then diverted more into radio and journalism and music. And what role has or did music play in your life back then at school? And how did that change from your school days to uni days here in Birmingham? Um, we were like, I guess, just on the cusp when we were growing up between CDs, we saw a tiny bit of tape CDs and then MP3s and Walkmans and iPods and that kind of thing. I think my friends from school, like I'm, I'm very, very grateful for them all because they're like also very independent women and have 
encouraged me to do lots of things that I probably wouldn't have done without having them around. In terms of just thinking that I'm like capable of doing things and seeing them also pushing themselves in different areas and kind of just being like, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. So it's your tribe. Yeah. Are they still your tribe? Yeah. We're all still very close. But yeah, music was like, um, I think we did used to share stuff and there was definitely a presence and we started going to music festivals because we didn't go to clubs and stuff like that. So I think we'd spend a lot of summer kind of going to music festivals and discovering new things, new sounds. And then coming to uni, I think I realised that music wasn't just for boys and women could be passionate and knowledgeable about it as well. And I realised I had quite a lot of catching up to do in terms of like, if I want to be at the same level as my peers in this kind of space then I need to know especially like with hip-hop I had a boyfriend that got me into hip-hop and then I was sold and still love it to pieces and like the history of hip-hop and how it's where it's come from and the artists and the people involved in the culture that surrounds it as well it really interests me so I started reading like I remember getting a Def Jam book out at the library at uni and kind of starting to clue myself up on the different rappers and how one thing led to another and the different sounds evolved. And yeah, I kind of took it upon myself to yeah, do a little bit of educating myself and research. And from there, I guess, once you start, then there's lots of, lots of things to discover and different platforms to do that and labels and all these different things to learn about. So I'm reading then that actually it was your arrival in Birmingham and the opportunity to have, a, a, I guess, a diverse range of music and people around you to go and explore genres that perhaps weren't on your radar? Maybe. I did used to get taken to Glastonbury when I was a kid. Yeah, there was definitely some influence and we used to like have CDs playing in the kitchen quite a lot. Like That was where we used to listen to music at home. And there was one, I went to Outlook Festival in 2012 or 13, I can never remember, but I saw DJ EZ and Mos Def perform. And I think DJ EZ was like one of the first maybe DJs that I watched and thought, you're a musician, like this is really cool. Like you're playing a lot of music that I've never heard before, I really like, and that kind of like light bulb kind of moment. Like, wow. Also, I think maybe... With the most deaf gig, it was kind of the collective feeling of being in that space with that stage and being like, wow, music's very, very powerful. So that's kind of where I remember being like, ah, there's more to it than yeah. just a CD or radio in the car or whatever it was. Not just a sound, it's a feeling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you've got the music thing then going on and I can, I'm hearing that there was great power and influence of music which has come through your childhood but almost been intellectualised a little bit at university and then paching, actually I can make a career and a living out of this. Mm. But then also you had your radio show mm. and, and writing for radio. So how did that all happen? Or is it is, is it one of the same thing or um I think my friend who taught me how to DJ, we found out that we had a very similar music taste and yeah, we just started at Scratch Radio at BCU and then 
got quickly annoyed with that and all of the adverts and everything that we had to do. So we were like, oh, there's a new radio station that's opened, which is Brum Radio, and went there. Yeah, I think it was a really good way to... It's good practice having regular slots. And it was the same with my writing at the time. Like I had a weekly thing or a bi-weekly, monthly radio show and it was a kind of got to get the music sorted got to kind of think of some things to do and fill an hour or two and I enjoyed it and then it was too much so I I didn't do it anymore (laughs) (laughs) it's actually a commitment isn't it Mm. however Mm. a really really solid training ground as well because you can kind of have your fun Mm. and learn at the same time and really push the boundaries as well in so many different ways I'm guessing it's really helped you with your editor-in-chief role at Bad Bag. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think, as well, just like getting used to the sound of your own voice. Like, it is what it is and you just got to get used to it. Yeah. But um, I think we did edit the radio shows a little bit. But to be honest, I, I learned editing from my mum. I'd send her essays and job applications and um, cover letters and stuff. And they'd come back with lots of notes and um, grammatical mistakes edited. And yeah, I think also like the editor that was before me at Bab Mag came from a different background that wasn't writing. So when I was kind of just writing for them as a student, I was also editing some other pieces of work that were getting sent in because I was like, well, that's not really quite, that's just not, doesn't look good. So yeah, through kind of like self-editing, it's much easier to do other people's now. So we've got music, we've got radio, we've got writing. And then we've got Selexterhood as well. Mm-hmm. You founded Selexterhood. Tell me about that. Um, what do you want to know? I know everything. <laughs> when I put into Google Selexterhood and I saw the YouTube videos, I was like, this is a bit cool. And I might not tell my husband these videos exist. And I'm just going to watch them and learn. And then I'm going to get on his decks. <laughs> and then he's going to go, wow, how did you do that? I'm all for female empowerment. Mm-hmm. And to see that for DJs mm. is just wicked. So... From the beginning, how did it start? Um, I was working at Cafe Artem on Corporation Street when it was still there, opposite the Q Club. And there was a lot of people using the shop that were male. And I was pretty much, a lot of the time, the only woman in there. It was a cafe and a record shop, so people would come in and have a drink and a sandwich, or they'd come and look at records, or be both. And the women would always sit and have the coffee, and the blokes would go and have a dig and listen to the records, and it got a bit boring, and I got a bit tired of it, and there was a lot of other collectives and people in different cities setting up DJ workshops and, yeah, getting their name out there more, um, trying to equalise some lineups. So I thought, okay, well, Birmingham needs one. I'll, I'll give it a go. And I did the first workshop in January 2019 with Jossie Mitsu and the tickets just kept on selling and selling and selling. And I was like, oh my gosh, what's happening? I actually had to like stop them on Skiddle and just be like, oh my God, what am I going to do with all these people in this tiny cafe? But yeah, it went really well. And from there kind of set up regular workshops and they've always kind of run as like drop-in things where... People can kind of just come and have a go on equipment because I think that was like the biggest barrier for me and perhaps from speaking to people and running it for three years is like, yeah, access to equipment. And I think being at uni, there's a lot of 
guys that maybe chip in for a piece of kit and they all share it in their shared house or whatever and they have access to that. But women don't do that so much and there's all the other things I've kind of spoken about and how I think music's viewed. And so, yeah, like just giving women and gender minorities a space to go and have a go and break down the kind of like scariness of it all and just tell everyone it's it's really easy to DJ. You just have to know what the buttons do and... You only need two of the buttons, really, so... <laughs> <laughs> you know, jokes aside, you saw something there. That's special. You saw something that um, was not inclusive and mm. you did something about it. I think when women are not viewed as equal in society, um, in the UK, we're, we're very... We're, I don't know how close, but we're a lot closer than in other parts of the world. Um, but still... I've had job interviews where someone said, oh, you've got a good chance because you're the only woman that's applied. And like little niggly comments and just everyday annoying things that happen. And it's, yeah. So it's they, right. those workshops yeah. um, and, and the movement, mm. what feedback have you had from the women that do come along? And I know you have like female-only nights as well, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Um, the feedback's amazing. And I think just shows like the need for it. Um, in terms of like confidence building as well, it's really important and it's actually really successful in doing that because people who are now getting sets around the city at festivals and all sorts, they, were, they remember them coming to their first selectorhood workshop and they know how to DJ, but they're scared basically and they don't want they don't think they're good enough or they're behind the decks and they're like oh does this do it and you're like yeah do it and now and like it's all that's all they need they just need to be in an environment where they feel like no I can do this and from there it's like bam 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 as soon as you get behind the decks and you feel comfortable on a stage I think there's a lot of opportunities out there how do you feel when you see those women around the city doing their sets yeah that it makes it all makes it all worthwhile <laughs> um yeah, it, it it makes me proud. I am very proud. I've probably got like over 50 women and non-binary people into DJing or at least giving them like some skills or giving them a bit of access to a different world, yeah. Wish I had you. Wish I had you, <laughs> I wish I had you 25 years ago. So is this your biggest achievement, do you think? Or is it something else? Yeah, no, I think um, setting... A business up from scratch or like a community interest company where the community's interest is still a, a huge like talking point and at its core like that is what I set out to achieve is a community and it's teetered on either side of being like I guess something else but um yeah to, to keep that people want to call us a collective or they want to call us a some what's the other word they use? Oh, you're a group of DJs that all do the same thing and or you're you just do workshops or there's kind of like unless I think you join the community and you you're part of it, it maybe is a bit of a, a mythical thing where like as much as I try and explain it in the about section on the website, like I'll find it very difficult to explain what we do because we do so many things and it's run by the community, which is thirty individuals who all have their own ideas, all have their own interests and experiences and everything. So to try and 
not let people put us in a box or be like, oh, can you do this? No, try and understand what we're trying to achieve as a community and then offer us or have a conversation on that level and so it's yeah. not we 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 went mold into what you want mm-hmm. we are what we are mm-hmm. and this is what's on offer mm-hmm. embrace us into the musical community yeah the dj sets the opportunities around the city and beyond yeah and also i am trying to create a new culture surrounding the music business that is more inclusive and more aware of like the height of the dj decks like a lot of places they're really high and as like there's some women that are shorter there's some people that are shorter and that's really unhelpful when you're DJing if you have to stand in a box or you know these little things that people just haven't thought about so far and now selectorhood of is both empowering women but also trying to inspire change in the music industries that's not standing for poor rates and kind of being like look, we're asking for these things because of these reasons, like, and trying to get that message across to people um, has been difficult. But also, like, we're getting somewhere, I think, now. And, yeah, we've kind of realised that it felt like very much we were fighting up against a bit of a brick wall. And I guess at the end of last year, there was a bit of a switch in my thinking um, that is, like no, we just need to create our own way of doing things. And if people want to join that, then they can and we'll carry on doing it because that's what we feel is the right thing to do. And I guess that's how most movements start up and then go on to succeed. I guess it's not looking up to try and mould yourself into what exists already and Mm. the whole point of it is to create your own vibe, your own corner. Mm. And actually, I don't think I've ever thought about the whole DJ decks. I've kind of, I mean, you know, I'll be honest, even as a host, when you're hosting live events, I have stood on boxes mm. to look over the lectern. I've never really thought about DJ boxes. Mm. Does it still a man's world DJing? Mm. No. Um, That's good to hear. I think that the more women that get into DJing and that have the ability to read the room and perform for themselves but also like to engage with the audience and not be there just playing the best set that they can because that's what they need to do because you have to be the best um I think yeah there's promoters and venue owners and festivals and bookers and whoever are seeing that there's a lot of value in female performers and gender minorities who can just not afraid to be themselves and put on a performance because I think yeah DJing is um <laughs> I said this before and then yeah. somebody was like well actually there's three things I said it's 50% mixing and 50% choosing your tracks and then somebody else in the community said oh there's a third as well that's performance well I think there is a performance mm. absolutely and and I suppose it changes that performance element with whoever your audience is and mm. I guess your venue your gig your festival mm-hmm. um so mm. everything's a performance in life these and days if you've, yeah if you've got a lot of people staring at you on stage then you want to be entertaining and you're, yeah yeah I know you're performing this weekend down in Mosley at the Soul Jazz Funk but can you remember your first gig yeah of course what was it like um, the first gig was at DDC, so that was very chilled at Digworth Dining Club. 
I thought for a moment there, DDC, I've missed that club in town. <laughs> it was dining club, yeah. Um, <laughs> but then I did my first kind of like club set at Moho, which is another Birmingham staple. And it's actually where my DJ name came from as well, because of that set, Holly oh, 110. Holly 110, yeah. Because I did a 1 to 10 shift at Only Jerkin and then went to do my 10. Is that it came out? Then bit. my 10pm performance at Moho and... Yeah, it was fine. I remember at the end, I asked somebody, like, how did that sound? They're like, you didn't beat match anything, but it sounded good. And I was like, okay, so that was something to work on for next time. <laughs> and Holly 110, mm. the DJ, and then Holly Hollister, mm. they're the same or they're different? As people. As people, yeah. They're very different, yeah. Um, Holly Hollister is kind of from zero to 25 and then... Holly 110 is a kind of new person. It's kind of like my professional professional name now. But then I did change my Instagram handle to Holly 110, so it's, it's official now. What about the Birmingham music scene? I know you talked about it, and you've talked about, obviously, you know, starting out here and that hugely ambitious and insightful reaction to, to the guys coming in into the shop. What about the scene? What about the scene here in Birmingham for you generally? How do you perceive it? Of, yeah, uh, let's be honest this is what it's about um how can you have change if you're not honest i mean from a selectorhood standpoint um there are several places that we don't want to work um venues and pubs and stuff because of attitudes and things that have happened in those spaces and the way that they've been dealt with them we don't feel is like a lot of things just get swept under the rug and I love the scene and like it's great because it's a small community and I think since um, the pandemic there's been a much more of a like a collective coming together like we need to support each other. I think it's reflective of the whole of Birmingham and the way it sees itself or the people Bromley see themselves and taking note from Bristol and Manchester and these other places and kind of being like why is it taking us so long to build anything here and there are like within my friendship groups, people doing really cool parties and just being like, we just want to do it because we want places to go. And I think the thing that does um, restrict us a little bit is the venues and like where we can put on events that is easy to get to because the transport system's so disjointed here and all these little things that always come up, especially from teaching music ecologies to the students at BCU when I did that course as well, like I remember Ian doing a similar module and a lot of the things that we were talking about was what I was talking about when I was a student. So I was like, oh, this is really frustrating. It's still there. It's still there. Mm-hmm. So just trying to retain the people and it takes it takes time to build something and we've seen it with Global Rotations, the Selectorhood night that um, we do at the night owl. Dina's done a great job of building an audience there and organically like at the beginning it wasn't very well attended but you know you keep doing something and people catch on and there's a bit of a sheep mentality here I think and it takes I'd say like a couple of it doesn't take as long as maybe people think but yeah Birmingham responds well to um repetition and <laughs> I was about to say flock mentality yeah. basically that is yeah. but if you don't yeah. want to go down that route and you don't want to mass promote things to students or like one particular audience like we've had conversations and like I think it's 
really great what we've been able to do is organically attract people to the night instead of being like come here it's like we're doing this this is the ethos and the music and what we're about and you'll have a good time because we're all about dancing and filling the dance floor and it's not about other things which i don't know you like a concept bar and taking photos for instagram whatever like it's 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 about the music it's It's about about the dancing yeah it's about the djs and it's about a family environment where you feel comfortable to be yourself and express yourself. And actually, there's not that many places, if we're really, really honest, in Birmingham that have that vibe. When you just said night owl, I, I, I can't think of mm. <laughs> that many, really. I suppose Hair and Hands, Dan Kingsley, mm. you could be yourself there. Mm. Um, I think last time I went in, there was a man standing up asleep <laughs> in the middle of a, middle of a house set. Yeah. But that's Birmingham for you, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but th- there aren't that many venues that, that, that afford you that... Um, creativity and and actually have the confidence in creating that organic movement so mm, mm. you know well done for sticking and well done tonight Al, because i mm. think it's one of the great venues of the city mm. so obviously we know that you're from devon originally well <laughs> london devon came here to study um at birmingham obviously you've stopped here so where's home now in birmingham um i live in Selly park yay yeah. south birmingham yeah do you I've, like it uh yeah I was living in the centre of Mosley, like opposite the Cuban embassy before, which was, it was a very good spot. A bit noisy. Yeah, that's what I realised when all the cars stopped in lockdown and it was very peaceful. And then when they all came back, I was like, no, I'm I'm getting out of here. Um, So yeah, it's quite a good spot. Equidistance between King's Heath, Sturchley and Sally Oak. Yeah, where it's all happening at the moment, that side of Sturchley, again, great place and... Developing into that sort of space where you can just be yourself regardless of ethnicity, gender, it's there. Mm-hmm. And, and actually a lot of exciting bars and cafes mm. and restaurants popping up. How has your life changed then because of music, if at all? Um, how has it changed? I guess, yeah, it's definitely more rich and exciting. And like I've re- I recently was just thinking about the music business and ways to make money through it and how that's going to change in the next few years with like web three and um more like people rejecting labels and doing it themselves and also bitcoin and all of that kind of um realm but yeah bit like music apart from food is one of the things that humans always are gonna like and like pretty much every human likes it so if you can make music that people like there's a whole like obviously there's a lot more into it but like you're pretty on much onto a winner because yeah everybody loves music so why not make money doing something that you like I guess it's the same for food if you're a chef <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely everything and for you your perception then of the music scene here in Birmingham I know we've talked a little bit about the the unequal mm. environment for, for DJs. But, you know, generically speaking, when I say Birmingham and I say music, in your mind, what do you conjure up as a description? Having lived here and knowing it, um, Birmingham as a description in music. I, it was very bassy. That's where I would go. Like, there's a lot of bass-heavy music and a lot of innovation and a lot of talented people that just aren't given the same 
amount of time as people in other cities. And if they were, I think we would be at a much further or progressed kind of level of artist because we don't have the kind of infrastructure that's in place like it is in other cities for artists to start off in their bedroom and then have a 50 capacity venue to perform to to then have a 150 capacity venue to perform to then to like build it up that way and to have interview experience from lots of different magazines or like radio like we don't have Bad Mag's pretty much the only well it's not anymore but for a while it was like the only music kind of platform and sort of youth culture and street culture documenting those sorts of things and Brom Radio up until recently has also been one of the only online radio stations in the city so I'm not surprised that the artists aren't as developed but hopefully like yeah we can keep building on that. Do you think you'll stick to the city then? Have you got faith in the city that it is the space for you to to grow and develop? Oh no I'm leaving. Oh no. (laughs) Yeah yeah in September. So actually that's really important Mm -hmm. because we consider you to be a gem of our city and actually it's important because we need to grow the seeds to flower. Where are you moving to? What's on the horizon? I'm going to move to Lisbon. Oh my goodness, I wasn't expecting that. Well, I can forgive you, at least it's not London or Manchester. Yeah. No. Uh, what's happening in Lisbon? Um, a really fun scene. I don't know, the, the sunshine, basically. And yeah, I said before I moved to London or a different city, then I wanted to move out of the UK. So that's where it's... Where it's heading. Where it's heading. But the movement will continue here, Selected, yeah? Yeah. And you know what? That's the beauty of having conversations like this. Mm-hmm. Because it's the legacy that's been created that you leave behind and that will continue and hopefully add to the sustainability of our music scene here mm-hmm. in the city. So thank you for championing the scene here for us. Wish you the best for Lisbon. I wasn't expecting that at all. <laughs> and uh, it's over and out, Holly 110. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. <laughs> On Record, In Conversation is produced by Siobhan Stevenson for the Birmingham Music Archive and presented by Birmingham 2022 Festival with the generous support of Arts Council England and the National Lottery Heritage Fund. Mm-hmm.